0: Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high-conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Uh, Hi, everybody, and welcome to the September 27th edition of Macro Minutes called Fault Lines. So fiscal policy um, has cracked uh, the UK bond market. It's opened fissures in the uh, currency and is causing ruptures in other bond markets, and by extension, uh, risk and cyclically sensitive uh, assets. Um, the U.K. Uh, fiscal side um, it has been dubbed irresponsible by markets, and today you're from uh, Cathal on this topic. Um, Adam is gonna tell us uh, how far the British pound can fall. Uh, Simon is going to opine on the Canadian dollar depreciation and its impact on macro and uh, Bank of Canada policy. I'm going to discuss the massive outperformance of Canada's bond market versus the U.S. and Canada's uh, curve inversions. And Laurie is going to tell us uh, what this all means for uh, equities. Uh, So to kick off the call, I'll turn it over to uh, the U.K. side to hear about the dire situation there.
1: Thank you, Jason, and um, hello, everybody. Well, as Jason alluded to there, we have seen some major moves in sterling markets um, over recent days. The market is now pricing a terminal bank rate of just north of 6%. Now, that's compared to about 4.5% at the time of the last Bank of England meeting, which was just last Thursday. Now, 10-year yields have also risen from about 3.25% to a little above 4%. Having a one point peak towards the four point two five percent with that move coming exclusive, exclusively from a step higher in real yields, so what 's behind these moves? What explains them now the the market moves we've seen came on the back of a fiscal statement from the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer on Friday. Now, the, the, the strange thing to those of us who, who, who observe these uh, events pretty regularly is that 90% of what was announced on Friday was actually known in advance. Earlier this month, the government had announced a major package of assistance for households um, and businesses to help them with the cost of, of gas and electricity prices over the next two years. Most of the tax measures which were announced on Friday had also been trailed heavily in advance throughout the Conservative Party leadership campaign over the summer months. What we think the market reacted to was less... The magnitude of what was announced, but more than it represented a loss, a loss of confidence in the UK, in the UK fiscal policy framework. The tax cuts were unfunded, um, and the Chancellor paid only lip service to any plan to manage the public finances over the medium term. By extension, that also eroded confidence in the UK's wider macroeconomic policy framework. In particular, with fiscal and monetary policy now operating in such obviously opposite directions. The market began to build an expectation that the Bank of England would have to tighten policy aggressively to counter the impact of the government's fiscal policy um, announcements on Friday. So last night we had coordinated statements from both the Bank of England and the Treasury. Essentially this saw the bank playing for time until its next meeting in early November. But the fundamental issues here, um, that two parts of the UK's macroeconomic policy mix are now working in obvious directions, and the associated loss of confidence stemming
0: from that, haven't gone away. Okay, great. Uh, Thanks very much. Very insightful. Uh, Now over to Adam on the FX market, and specifically how much further uh, the pound uh, could get pounded.
2: Thanks, Jason. So, I think um, the answer to that question very much depends on uh, time horizons. And near-term, I do think there is a case for some consolidation, and um, the uh, adjustment in sterling and other risk premium has been significant, and um, looking at it, for instance, through sovereign CDS in the UK versus other major markets. We have gone um, from the bottom end of a decade-long range right to the top of that range. And if that's a reflection of the risk premium carried in the currency, which I think is probably fair, then it's not unreasonable to think having gone from one end of the range to the other, that we could at least for a few days or weeks um, consolidate around these levels. Longer term, however, this process for us is nowhere near over. And what the um, Chancellor did on Friday uh, was bring to the foreground the imbalances in the UK that have been significant but in the background for some time. And uh, that issue, having come to the foreground, is unlikely to go away without um, a major change in policy, which is something we're very unlikely to get under the, the current PM and Chancellor. So the UK runs uh, both a large current account deficit, 8% or so of GDP, and a structural budget deficit of 5% of GDP. And the former is a consequence of the um, lack of domestic savings. Most countries that run structural budget deficits the size of the UK's uh, fund them from uh, a large stock of domestic private savings. I'm thinking Italy and Japan as the prime examples of that. That's not the case in the UK. We rely very much on funding our domestic deficits by borrowing from abroad. And that has been brought sharply into focus by the events of Friday. And it's unlikely to go away, as I say, without a major change of policy second factor I'd mention in this context of the longer term outlook for sterling is that on the measures that matter, it's not the case yet that sterling is in inverted commas cheap. On the measures of the real exchange rate that we focus most squarely on, relative labour costs in the UK compared to our trading partners, we are still above the long-term average for the sterling exchange rate. So all the focus on us hitting record low levels cable and historically very low levels for sterling trade-weighted, none of that holds if you look at those exchange rates in real terms. So I think it's still fair to say that sterling is not playing a large role in correcting those imbalances that are at the root of the weakness. So Longer term, we uh, think this process has further to run, and sterling has further to weaken before we get into the kind of territory that it's playing its role in reversing those um, those imbalances that have caused the uh, the moves over the last few days. So, short term, a little bit of consolidation, longer term, we are in the process of reworking our forecasts at the moment. Um, we just hit our longer term target in, um, in cable, and uh, in all likelihood, those will be uh, moving lower as, um, uh, for the reasons that, uh, that I just mentioned. So, consolidation, near term, longer term, this process is further to run in our view. And with that, I'm bouncing back to, uh, to Jason.
0: Okay, excellent stuff, Adam. Uh, Shifting gears, we're going to move over to uh, Simon on Canada.
3: Hi, everyone. Um, So, increasingly over the last little bit, we have gotten questions on uh, the impact of weaker CAD on bank policy and the macro backdrop. Um, You know, to give some context to this, uh, dollar CAD was at 130 uh, on September 12th, and this week's been around 137. So, in CAD dollar terms, that's going from 77 cents about $0.73. And a few things to keep in mind uh, when looking at this, one, CAD comes into the bank's NPR projection via the average over the previous six weeks or since the previous meeting. Um, This is a way of avoiding the need to forecast CAD and not being too dependent on temporary moves. Uh, So the assumption at the last NPR in July was $0.78, current level of $0.73 would be 6.4% depreciation, so if it is the average at the next meeting, so obviously there's a lot of time between now and then, uh, but if it is the average at $0.73, then that's a 6.4% depreciation. And if you look at research that's been done, uh, this would translate to about 0.2 percentage points upside to core inflation, about 0.4 to headline inflation. However, CAD depreciation is not independent of other market moves, and obviously we've seen lower oil prices over the last uh, chunk of time. Um, For example, WTI was assumed in a $95 to $110 range over the projection horizon in July and now below $80. And as well, global and U.S. growth are likely weaker than assumed in the July NPR, so for the U.S. The July NPR had 1.9% for this year, 1.1% for next year, and our economics team currently has 1.7% for this year and 0.2% for next year. Now we'd expect the bank to keep their forecast above the 0.2% for next year, but certainly there are downside risks to what they had in July. And so the overall takeaway here is that the weaker CAD is offset by lower oil prices and weaker global-slash-US growth assumptions. Um, leaving their high even at the time inflation projection from the July NPR likely to be lower in October. Uh, the difficulty or the c- complexity, uh, one of the complexities comes from, we've already seen oil and gas prices move lower, so they've already come down, headline inflation has moved from a peak of 8.1% in June to 7.6% in July, 7% in August, um, meanwhile the CAD weakening has come recently. so that's more likely to show up, say, as soon as the October C- CPI report sorry, comes out in mid-November. So there's a timing issue there in terms of the mismatch and when that uh, any, the CAD depreciation may show up in the CPI report. Um, as an aside, i also highlight that uh, recent Bank of Canada research looking at the impact of CAD depreci- depreciation on exports showed that actually the direct relationship was relatively weak. Instead, U.S. growth, where 75% of Canada's trade is done, is the main driver of export. So not a huge shock on the latter, but just that the, the CAD depreciation isn't as, the, as strong a relationship as one might think. And that's it for me. I'll flip it back to Jason.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Simon. Uh, next, I'm going to discuss three topics. One, Canada's yield curve inversion. Uh, two, Canada-U.S. spreads and three U.S. duration. Um, So on yield curve uh, inversion, Canada's curve, yes, it's inverted across uh, all segments. When you look at this back to the uh, mid-1990s, you know, the degree of inversion does seem quite excessive. But it is broadly in line with the experience of 1981 and 1990. And indeed, there are macro similarities between those periods and now, so it's not implausible for curves to invert uh, by a similar magnitude as they did in those periods in 81 and 1990, which would mean that 2s-10s could get to the minus 100 uh, to minus 125 basis point type of range. And this could happen for a number of reasons, Um, you know, first, the Bank of Canada surprises with a larger uh, quantum of hikes or extends the cycle longer. Secondly, uh, the growth downturn turns out to be um, exceptionally large. Do you think consensus is uh, too optimistic on the growth front for 2023 in Canada? Or uh, three, uh, policy rates are kept at higher levels for longer. So these are all plausible uh, scenarios that could unfold. And one of the key lessons from past rate cycles is that curves do not steepen before the last rate hike. What those curves do, particularly 2s, 10s and 2s, 5s, after that, is dependent on how quickly policy reverses course, whether it actually does so or whether the market bets on that quite heavily. But independent of uh, policy in the year after the last hike, the 530s and 1030s curve, those have shown the most reliable steepening patterns after the last rate hike. On the second topic of Canada-US spreads, you know, there's been a lot of outperformance of uh, Canadian bonds versus their US counterparts across the whole curve over the past couple of weeks. And this has been a hot topic for clients. To me, um, it seems pretty straightforward uh, that the move in the bond market has been exclusively driven by the repricing of relative terminal rates. So for almost all of 2022, the market was pricing Canada's terminal rate to be at or above the US. And this was a bit odd versus history. The Fed has usually finished 50, In one case, 100 basis points higher than the Bank of Canada in the past cycles over the past few decades. Now, in the past few weeks, the market has repriced uh, the Fed terminal rate higher, and it's now around 50 basis points above Canada. So we are at levels now on policy rate differentials that seem more consistent with history. So you know, given that, it doesn't surprise me that Canada is trading through the U.S. uh, as far as uh, bond market spreads. So if we assume that Canada-U.S. spreads being negative makes intuitive and macro sense, then the debate is really about the level. And at least looking at history again, Canada-U.S. spreads, they are not outside the realm of sanity if the Fed finished 50 to 75 basis points higher than the Bank of Canada. So going forward, I do think cross-market spreads should remain a high beta to relative terminal pricing. So this is similar to what we've seen over the past six weeks. And finally, on duration, you know, given the cheapness of the U.S. to Canada and what seems to be contagion from the U.K. driving the U.S. long end rather than uh, necessarily fundamentals, it might be worth fading and scaling into long 10-year uh, treasury positions at these levels. With that, I'll pass it over to Lori uh, for her thoughts on the equity market during these tumultuous times.
4: All right, thanks Jason, thanks for having me everyone. So I was on the road last week talking to equity investors. It was an interesting time to be out and about, um, but there are really kind of two topics that were on people's minds. First is how in the world do you position as an equity investor when the curve inverts? And second, What does higher for longer from the Fed mean for P.E. multiples? And I think that it's important to note that that last question was really in focus for investors on the equity side, even before the Wednesday FOMC meeting. So first topic of the yield curve, you know, this is unfortunately just a very, very tricky um, environment to navigate uh, for U.S. equity investors. We looked at sector performance and we found that trends are not highly consistent. Market performance also is not that highly consistent. But if you look in the bits and pieces of the market, you do tend to see a pretty clear defensive bias. And we do tend to you know, just assume that's because recession fears are in focus, whether or not a recession ends up happening or not. And so areas you want to be hiding out in are things like commercial and professional services. So think business services, stocks, food and staples, retail, household personal products, materials pharma, biotech, life sciences, software services, telecom, transportation, and utilities. One area that does tend to underperform that I think will be relevant to this crowd is energy, along with consumer services, which is restaurant-heavy and tech hardware and equipment. I do think a lot of these takeaways are obvious, but when we saw the big sharp drop in energy at the end of the week, um, this was really kind of the first thing that popped to my mind. Moving on to the valuation discussion, and I think this is something investors on the equity side have been struggling with all year, but again, it's really the question of what does higher for longer uh, in terms of rates um, and maybe even inflation uh, mean for PE multiples going forward. And so we published over the weekend a new model we've been tinkering with for a while that forecasts a year-end 2022 S&P 500 PE. And it's really just based on four variables, 10-year yields, Fed funds, core PCE and PCE. And what's I think unique and helpful about this, this model is that we do leverage data going all the way back to the 1970s. So we basically just plugged in 2022 expectations on inflation in the Fed from last week's summary of economic projections. I did speak with Blake about what were some reasonable interest rate assumptions. And we plugged in you know, just sort of those variables to the model It spits out a PE of 16.35 times, which assumes a 57% contraction from the pandemic high of 37.8. And that level of contraction, importantly, is close to the contraction we got throughout the entire 1970s peak to trough and the contraction that we saw in the broader market after the tech bubble. So I wouldn't say that this has to be the multiple at the end of the year, but it's certainly a very reasonable uh, starting point for thinking about where markets, you know, could plausibly trade in terms of the PE at the end of the year. And if you take that 16.3 times on our 2022 EPS forecast of 218, and I will tell you that 218 is very far below the bottom of consensus of 243, we would see the index fall to about 3564. Now, before we move to Q&A, I just want to mention that we come up with this number 3,500 a lot um, in our market discussion. And so if you think about the median recession, and obviously the June lows have now broken, but a median recession drawdown in the S&P 500 is 27%. That takes the index to 3,501. Um, Also, if you look at forward P.E. and our earnings numbers, um, we'd get back to an average P.E. if we see the market trade around 35.61. So I think this is going to be an important level to watch. We are obviously worried about what's going on in the U.K., um, but we have seen things like the equity put call ratio has finally spiked. It is at its highest uh, level that we've seen since the pandemic and getting close to December 2018 highs. So there is a lot of fear in this market, but that's not to say we have to have bottomed in here. I just want to leave you with one final thought. If 3,500 on the S&P doesn't hold, you want to look at 3,200 next. That is where you see a 32% or typical, you know, kind of average recession drawdown as opposed to a median.
0: Okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining our regular Macro Minute series. Whether the fault lines in bond markets and risk assets uh, turn into a full-blown earthquake uh, remains to be seen. But what is clear is that the trend of high volatility should remain in place for the rest of the year. So uh, stay tuned for our regular calls to hear from uh, RBC experts on uh, these developments.